Cue the fancy intro music. I'm Lisa Robin Young, and this is Creative Freedom, empowerment for creative entrepreneurs, where can-do inspiration and how-to education collide to help you own your dreams without selling your soul. Creative Freedom helps you end the hustle, define success on your own terms, and build a profitable, sustainable business doing more of what you love and less of what you don't. I'm so excited you're here with me today. Let's get started. It's bonus episode number six, and today I've got a blast from my childhood past to share with you. When I was about nine or ten, my mom decided to collect up all our broken crayons, years of broken crayons, and make milk carton candles. If you've never done this before, it's super easy and kind of fun, though I will say that they don't smell particularly yummy when you burn them, especially if you use yarn for the wick, which, you know, we were kids, that's what we did. But they can be beautiful, colorful works of art when you fill a cardboard milk carton with these bits of broken crayons of various colors and then pour in melted paraffin over the top to fill in the gaps. It kind of ends up looking like stained glass. It's really actually quite pretty. Um, In fact, I credit that little craft project with inspiring me to later launch a small candle manufacturing company when I was in my 30s. Now, I I traded the yarn for real candle wicking, but the process was pretty much the same. Melt the wax and pour it into molds with wicks and poof, you've got a candle. When I was a kid, though, I really didn't know what I was doing. In fact, I nearly burned the house down. (laughs) At one point in our craft session, I left the wax on the stove for too long. Now, mom was supervising, okay, but I wanted to do it myself, which is a classic fusion creative trait. (laughs) And uh, when the wax got too hot, it caught fire. So here I am, 10 years old, with a flaming pot of candle wax in my hands. I'm a little scared, (laughs) but I said I wanted to do this myself. And so my mom is standing across the kitchen and she says, well, what are you going to do now? kind of not happy that she said that, but I'm smart, right? So I know about stop, drop, and roll. I know how to put out a fire, Um, but we didn't have a fire extinguisher in our house. Remember, I grew up on welfare, so that was a luxury that we didn't have. So I remembered what firemen do. They pour water on a fire and they aim at the base and, you know, that whole thing. Uh, So that's what I was going to do. I'm going to douse the flames. It might ruin the wax, but at least the house won't be on fire. (laughs) And if you don't already know where this is heading, let let me cut the suspense for you. I took the pan to the sink, turned on the water, and flame shot up to the ceiling as if Zeus had thrown a lightning bolt inside that pan. <laughs> and in my head, I heard myself scream, run for your lives, the house is on fire. I was 10, okay? Uh, but if mom hadn't been there to help, the house probably would have burned down. I would have run out of the house, focused on survival, instead of being focused on finding a fire extinguisher to put out the fire. Now, thankfully, mom knew exactly what to do. She tossed some baking soda into the pan to kind of smother the flames and then threw the pan lid on top, which cut the oxygen supply and put out the fire. Yay. Thanks, mom. (laughs) My arm hairs ended up being a little bit singed, but otherwise everybody was okay and the house was still intact. So yay, mom to the rescue. Now, I want you to imagine that it's you in this story and instead of your house, it's your business. What happens when you have a flare-up? Do you go into survival mode? Do you throw water on the flames, hoping that the burning will just stop, only to find out that you've made the problem worse? 
Do you know where the fire extinguisher is and how to use it in your business? Author Mike Michalowicz calls this the survival trap. Mike says that the biggest problem entrepreneurs have is that they don't know what their business's biggest problem is. And you'll do anything just to make the burning stop. But sometimes in doing just anything, you're actually throwing water on the fire (laughs) or worse, gasoline. This week, I'm sharing with you a new concept from Mike called the business hierarchy of needs. It's the core concept in his upcoming book, Fix This Next. And if you listen to our last episode, you know that I'm now a certified Fix This Next advisor. And I've been champing at the bit to share this with you because it is so clear, so insightful, and removes all doubt when it comes to knowing what the current problem is in your business and what needs fixing next. So if you're ready, let's dig in. You may have heard the term hierarchy of needs before. Mike actually borrowed it from Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. Maslow was a psychologist in the middle of the 20th century who wrote a paper called A Theory of Human Motivation, wherein he laid out the entire hierarchy of human needs in pyramid form. He theorized that at the bottom of this hierarchy would be needs related to things like survival and safety, so water, food, shelter, and so on. As you ascend the hierarchy, you'd have more complex needs for things like love, relationships, and belonging. And then at the top of the hierarchy would be needs related to self-esteem and self-actualization. Mike posed the question, well, what's the hierarchy of needs for business? And Fix This Next was his answer to that question. The book outlines five levels of the business hierarchy of needs and digs into the five aspects of each level. Now, we're going to examine just the first lowest level of the business hierarchy of needs today because five aspects in each of the five levels of the hierarchy means there are 25 different aspects of your business to look at when you've got problems in the company that need fixing. So we'll cover the other aspects in future episodes, but here's the thing. Just like Maslow's hierarchy, you always need to resolve the lowest needs first. Here's what I mean. Let's say you got a great house and a great job and you're living comfortably, so all your physiological and safety needs are being met. You've even got a great partner with whom you feel wonderfully about and you've been married for a while, so love and belonging are going well too. And then you're in a car crash that puts you in the hospital on a respirator. You are not thinking about your house or even your relationship at this point. You are focused on survival. You've got to get yourself better and stable before you can even begin to worry about your house, your job, or your relationship. Heck, you're not even worried about clothes right now, okay? Just healing, and that is it, survival. Your business is very much the same. You can have great income, even a healthy profit in your business with great clients and work that you love, and you've got a team that supports your business and keeps it running like a well-oiled machine, You've even found a community of business owners that encourage you and you've been able to make a greater impact in your community and in the world at large because your business just rocks. But if you lose your biggest client and along with it, your biggest source of income, that becomes your primary need. Sales is the foundational need of every business. And if your business runs on donations, let's say, then it might not be sales per se, but revenue. The business hierarchy of needs begins with sales. Once sales and cash flow are consistent, you ascend the hierarchy to the next level, which is profit. Profit gives you the ability to create stability 
because you can lean into existing profits during downturns. And every business faces downturns at some point. That's a natural part of the business life cycle. Once your business is consistently profitable, then you ascend the hierarchy to the next level, which is order, which is where systems and processes become important. This lets you start thinking about team building, delegation, and hiring. So those first three levels, sales, then profit, then order. Every business needs these three levels intact in order to be profitable and sustainable. But some businesses, including many creative businesses that I've run into, have a desire to make a bigger impact, which is the next level of the hierarchy, impact. They want to transform their world through their great work. And a select few business owners want to see their business live on well after they've retired from the company. And that's the top tier of the hierarchy, a legacy business. Again, if any of the lower levels has an issue, you've got to solve that problem first. Otherwise, you just create more problems for yourself. You can't solve a sales problem with more systems and processes. Likewise, if your sales are great and you got plenty of profit, selling more will actually cause problems if you don't have the right systems in place to handle the increased demand from those sales. So let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, according to Maria, and it's one of the most important aspects for creative entrepreneurs. Sales. The five aspects that you need to look at inside this level of the hierarchy of needs inside sales is your enoughness number, traffic, conversion, delivering on your commitments, and collecting on commitments. And I'm going to hit those two first because they're pretty self-explanatory. I mean, if you're not delivering on the commitments that you're making to your clients, that's a problem. (laughs) When I work with a client, I assume that you're good at what you do and you're honoring your commitments to your people. Because if you're not, you need to fix that like now. And if you're not collecting on your client's commitments, meaning you're not getting paid on time, they're promising you a referral and they're not giving it to you, or they're not keeping their appointments with you, then you've got a client quality issue. And those are two big problems that I see when you're being over generous, okay? It's something I see with creatives all the time, especially chaotic creatives who give and give and give and give, and sometimes they're underpricing and undervaluing and under-earning because of it. Boundaries. Boundaries, people. Boundaries. (laughs) For the the fourth time, for the people in the back. Boundaries. Set them. Honor them. And expect your clients to do the same because if they don't, you need to stop working with them, period. All right, so let's go back and look at your enoughness number, okay? And that's my term. I wrote about it in my book, Creative Freedom. Mike talks about this differently. He calls it lifestyle congruence, but it's essentially the same thing. How much money does your business need to make in order to pay you a comfortable lifestyle? Now, the key word here is comfortable, not lavishly elegant over the top and not scraping the bottom of the barrel, barely getting by survival level, but enough. Okay, that's why I call it the enoughness number. How much is enough for you? Do the math. In order to live a comfortable lifestyle, how much personal income do you need? Then do the math again. How much of that income needs to come from your business? If you want it all to come from the business, then your business needs to make even more than that so that it can afford to pay you and to keep running. (laughs) That, that number right there, what you need plus what the business needs, that's your enoughness number. Now, if that number seems huge to you right now, that's okay. 
It's meant to be a guide to help you know what you're driving towards and to help you develop your sales plan. Your sales plan comes from the other two elements of this level in the hierarchy, traffic and conversion. How many people are visiting your website, reading your emails, or visiting your store if you've got a physical location? That's your traffic number. What percentage of those people actually buy something from you? That's your conversion rate. Okay, you'll have an overall conversion rate for your business, like the sum total of all the traffic divided by all the sales gives you your conversion rate. Okay, but if you're a digital marketer, you probably also have conversion rates for each of your sales pages. For example, my incubator sales page doesn't get a lot of traffic, maybe a few dozen people each month. Now, my whole website does significantly better, but that one page doesn't get a whole lot of traffic. Of those people, who go to that page, only one or two people complete an application, okay? The people who complete the application, they are the qualified traffic. Qualified meaning they're interested, okay? But they haven't bought yet, okay? And my conversion rate is high. Since I launched the incubator in 2016, about 80% of the people that actually complete an application for the incubator end up joining us for at least a year, and some of them even longer. The average is about 18 to 24 months. So once you know your conversion rates, you can do the math on your enoughness number. If you need to make $100,000 and you sell a $500 item, then you got to sell 200 of them every year. If your conversion rate is 50%, then you'll only need 400 qualified people, between two and three people a day. If your conversion rate is 10%, you'll need a traffic number of about 2,000 qualified people or about five people every day, a much different number to try and achieve. When you've got high conversion rates, you don't need nearly as much traffic. The lower your conversion rate, the more traffic you need. And better quality traffic sources mean better conversion rates. Okay, so do you know your numbers? If you're a chaotic or a fusion creative, you might be struggling with this, but a great place to start this exploration is to just look at your web statistics. How are people finding you? How are they hearing about you? Are they visiting your site from Instagram or Facebook? Are they signing up for your email or only subscribing to your YouTube channel? Know your traffic sources and find out which ones give you more traffic that turns into buyers. That helps you know where to put your marketing focus. And this can be as simple as asking someone when they make a purchase with you, how did you hear about me? Where did you find me? Sometimes I get people saying, oh, I read your book. I found your book and I wanted to work with you. Sometimes it's, oh, I saw somebody, I saw it on a podcast. Cool. That helps me know where my buyers are coming from. Because all of those places are sources for traffic, but some of them give me more buyers than others. If you need help, I invite you to consider the Creative Freedom Apprenticeship. There's an entire month in the apprenticeship focused on helping you get clarity on traffic, conversion, and sales, as well as how your enoughness number fits into the profit-first approach if you're using that in your business. We also go in depth into the entire business hierarchy of needs in that program so that you get a very clear picture of how to diagnose for yourself where you're at and what you're trying to accomplish and what needs to be fixed next. You can learn more about it at lisarobinyoung.com forward slash apprentice. If you liked this episode, help us make a bigger impact in the world. Support our Patreon campaign. Subscribe. Share us around with your friends and colleagues. Leave a review. Your help makes a difference. 
more than you could ever know. We are one of the fastest growing shows for creative entrepreneurs because of you and all of that wonderful sharing that you do. So thank you very, very much. Next time, we will discuss the second level of the business hierarchy of needs, profit. So I hope you'll join me then. And until then, for more inspiration and education to help you own your dreams without selling your soul, come see what's shaken over at lisarobinyoung.com. You know you want to. 